Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm JP LaRock, a screenwriter who's worked on Netflix's Slasher and Another Life, and created the OTV digital series Gay Nerds. The topic of today's conversation, Diggstown, centers around big city lawyer Marcy Diggs, who gives up her practice to work in a Dartmouth, Nova Scotia-based legal aid clinic, where the team of lawyers confronts issues of racism, poverty, and gender bias on a daily basis. And as the groundbreaking CBC series heads into its second season on March 4th, I'll be speaking with series creator and showrunner Floyd Kane and series writers Lynn Cody and Ellen Vanstone about how they've translated Kane's very personal vision for the legal drama to the screen. My conversation with Floyd, Lynn, and Ellen is followed by an audience Q&A. I hope you enjoy it. So, I mean, I guess for me, the starting point is this is a very uh, personal story for you. I mean, you, uh, you know, you grew up in East Preston, which is, you know, a community uh, near Halifax, right? Yeah. And you studied law. Um, You know, you, uh, you knew, you knew the world of the show. So I'm curious, kind of, what was the creative seed for you that led to to Digstown as we know it? Um, <clears throat> I was actually uh, developing a cop show with a black female lead set in Nova Scotia when a producer, one of the producers on the show, uh, Amos Atatui, called me and said, uh, do you have a legal show? Um, and I said, well... I think I'm writing something I could turn into a legal show. And I've always wanted to uh, explore. Like, I guess for me, one of the frustrations was always never seeing myself represented on television. Um, Canada has a large uh, population of multi-generational black folks. And I just never, I never saw them. And so I think it was really important for me to represent uh, those folks and one of those communities uh, within the show, within Deekstown. So w- when I was developing it, that was sort of uh, tantamount. And then we kind of, what happened is I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's a legal aid lawyer who's now a judge. And he and I were talking, and he was telling me these like crazy stories. And I just thought, no one's done this. Like, I just thought, no, like every legal show I've seen on television has always been about people who are rich or middle class who are having to, hiring a high priced lawyer to help them engage with the law. And I've just never, like, and I've just never seen a show that's been about like working class people and people who don't have resources and what happens when they have to deal with the law. And that's kind of where the genesis of the show began for me. I mean, for me, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that immediately stood out to me was that you, you were focusing in on this world that doesn't often, I think largely because so many legal dramas want to get the glitz and the glam. Mm -hmm. You instead are like, well, let's, let's talk about, Let's talk about the people who are actually subject to the system, often in unfair ways, right? And um, yeah, and that is clear, right? Yeah, I mean, when I, it's so funny. Like today, I went back and I looked at the Bible, which is like the document that we use to sell the show. Um, and I went back to look at the the Bible to kind of see, okay, so how true is the actual show to what? I pitched in the room and there's this great quote that I can't attribute at the moment, but at the top of the uh, Bible that's basically says that, you know, the, the law was created uh, to, I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up, but, the, but basically the law was created to like screw the uneducated. And I think that's a really, like it's a very interesting thing to posit in terms of the way that uh, when you are like disenfranchised, you have to engage with the legal system. 
And I mean, I think one of the things that's really quite amazing about the series too is that even as you're dealing with different folks who are marginalized in their own way, you also have them often confronting their own privilege as well, right? Where it's like, for instance, Marcy will realize that she has had access to an education, that she's had had access to a corporate world. I, I feel like there's no character in this world who necessarily is off the hook for the ways in which they um, benefit from the system, right? Yeah, I guess I... in. The- I don't know if I've ever said this, but I, I feel like Marcy's, I never wanted Marcy to be um, the most brilliant lawyer, you know, in the history of television. I wanted her to be somebody who makes mistakes, who's flawed, who does unethical things at times to get the right result. Um, for me, like her superpower is empathy. Yeah. So that's, all, that's how I see her. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the most fascinating things for me is that, you know, you have as a starting image, her on this surfboard, right? Like her out in the water, her, it's this recurrent kind of um, visual imagery that, first of all, I think we're not used to seeing in Canadian television in general, um, but also too associated uh, with the East Coast and also an entire subculture that I think people don't ever even talk about, right? Well, it just, for me that image is really about claiming space. Like from like I've, I live like when I, I was like living 45 minutes away from Martinique beach where we shoot those scenes. And as you can see, it's, it's a gorgeous place, but you, it's a, it's essentially, uh, it like a lot of the communities that are there are rural white communities. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, you know, no black Nova Scotians, like we need to feel welcome in those spaces. We need to feel comfortable in those spaces. And so it was really important for me when I was making the show, the image of a black woman on a surfboard in in the Atlantic Ocean, like riding those waves. I just like, that was the most powerful image of all for me like it was like when we were putting the show together and talking about budget and what can we cut and what can like we're going to martinique beach Mm -hmm. i don't care if this beach is closer (laughs) we're going to martinique (laughs) so yeah yeah i mean it it is i think it's such a a powerful symbol of that character right like it is so and it is recurrent throughout the season whenever she's uh facing a, a an emotional crisis I find that the water, I mean, I, I recognize that, you know, there's there's the religious component of, of water. But, I mean, she's all often going to the water to kind of cleanse herself of whatever it is she's experiencing. You we, know? We, so, we call it her church. Right on. Cool. Well, that, I mean, it, it's there. You can see it, right? Um, one of the things that I find also really interesting about this series is um, you are telling a very specific story about a, a specific community um, a culturally specific, you know, community is a story. Um, but you're also having to navigate the needs of, an, a, you know, your traditional Canadian network procedural. Um, if you can speak a bit about the, kind of that dance, right, of, of finding a way to tell a story, you know, that, that is specific, um, but also the challenges of, of, of trying to also keep that, uh, broad enough for a mainstream or even potentially for executives who are concerned about a mainstream audience, right? And sorry, just to say as well, Ellen and Lynn, like if you want to um, weigh in on that as well, please do. Do you want to weigh in? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, what was the No, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, for me, I think the moment that you make the choice to do a show about a black female um, who is like going to be number one on the call sheet. And the show is really her about her. Like it's not, um, it's not a two hander. Um, It's like, she's our Alicia Florrick, right? And so I just, so to me, I think just, by virtue of making that choice, 
the broadcaster either decides they want to come along or not. And, you know, CBC, to their credit, um, they decided to come along. In every, in every single way? Yeah. I mean, I, like, like, here's the thing. I, I think the executives were really, like, they've been really good in terms of wanting the show to be even more specific, right? Like, I feel in the second season of the show, we spent a lot more time in Marcy's community telling stories with her in her community involving her parents, um, talking about, um, like, I think we got really specific about a lot of issues, a lot of the humor, and some of the, the later episodes in uh, the second season is very culturally and racially specific. Um, so I, you know, and they've never said no. You know, I, th I think if anything, the challenge, and I think the challenge for CBC um, with the show has just been sort of what's, how do you market this show to a Canadian audience who are not, even though they're used to watching shows like Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder, they're not necessarily, they have never been prepped for watching, you know, people who are black mm -hmm. uh, in lead positions on television shows mm -hmm. in this country. So I think that's kind of, th that's more, been more so the challenge. Mm -hmm. No, Lynn, you're, you're nodding to that as well. So I'm actually thinking, I can't believe we're allowed to explore as many issues around diversity and racism as we, we are. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is that we, we camouflage them in like, really great stories about interesting people and it just so happens that they're they're diverse um but i was i was just thinking about my episode for season two where i i just kind of couldn't believe all the cross currents we had going on because we had we had a gay man who was in a custody dispute with his partner and he was a racist mm -hmm. and this kept coming up i'm sorry for spoilers floyd <laughs> <laughs> i won't tell you how the, how the case ends up but uh this, this kept be, this becoming an issue with respect to like how do we represent this guy and how were you know how was his identity kind of feeding into his racism or, or was it even like so everybody's figuring that out and then i had a an a story where um, there's Marcy is defending an indigenous person and Doug is kind of um, advising her on the side and Doug is correcting Marcy's blind spots mm -hmm. around racism towards indigenous people and it was just like fascinating to me that like I'm not sure these stories have ever been told on Canadian television before. Oh I mean I think one of the things that I love about the first season is you know when you have those arguments between um, Marcy and Pam it's like, yes, they're, they're conversations that we're familiar with in terms of privilege and about the notion of, of you know, uh, an individual coming from a certain economic background, a certain socio background. Like, this is a situation where they have things that other people do not. But I love the fact that you're still with Pam. Like, Pam is not wrong in what she says to Marcy. Like, I feel like they both raise really interesting points on either side of that perspective, which is something that... Um, I think the show does really, really well. And I'll, I'll just chime in and say that um, there were, along with race and class, gender politics was also a lot, always on the table in the room. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was so much fun to just have people, it was such a safe space for everyone to talk about anything. And, you know, sometimes sit, put their foot in it. <laughs> but, um, like, there, I mean, we talk about things like, the, there was one discussion we had where we were talking about Marcy, and I didn't quite get the character. And I was like, well, she'd be really mad. And Floyd was saying, well, no, she'd be smiling. And I go, why? Because, you know, like, it was just so interesting. Like, when does a person smile in a situation? Does it depend on their personality? Does it depend on their race? Does it depend on their age? Like, it, like it, was, it was so open to who these characters were. And it was just such a privilege to be in that room and explore all of that. All of the, all of the different aspects of identity, yeah. right? And the way that they interact with each yeah. other. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm getting a little bit of a signal uh, that we are <laughs> going to start the screening. I think what's really quite lovely about that episode is that it 
again, encapsulates something about this series, which is um, how do you remain resilient? How do you remain hopeful in the face of like a system that seems uncaring, right? And I think that, um, you know, again, throughout, I mean, I think it's a very bold choice to have in the season finale, Marcy lose, right? If you could speak to that a bit. Killer. <laughs> oh, there's some baby killing. The baby dies <laughs> because Floyd always goes for the dark. <laughs> we I, we actually fought so much about the ending, and if we could stand to have an unhappy ending to that story. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the things that I find so interesting is you know, you guys also run the gamut in terms of topics that are dealt with. Like, I mean, you talk about immigration and CSIS. You know what I mean? There's there's child custody, for instance, in this particular episode. Um, you know, you, you go into uh, teenage prostitution. Um, I mean, how do you how do you source these stories? What are, you know, where do they kind of come from? Um, well, a lot of them are from like the story that we just watched um, was actually from an actual case that happened in Nova Scotia, um, and we had talked to one of our consultants about it and I think the reason why we like the ending we decided to make her lose was, was because that's what happened in the real life case mm -hmm. and I just felt it should not Marcy shouldn't always like I think we've all agreed that Marcy shouldn't always win mm -hmm. like because that's not interesting mm -hmm. and it always feels like she should lose like like one of the things that we've tried we tried to do we do in season one and we've continued to do in season two is this whole idea of sometimes even when she wins, she loses. Yeah. Right. Like in the, in the, the, uh, episode one of season two, which premieres March 4th. Um, <laughs> everybody watch on March 4th. It's, it's one of those things where like she wins, but she loses. And I, and that's, I really, I personally like shows that do that. So that's kind of something that we try to do throughout the show. I mean, it's like it's clear that um, you're also navigating a lot of different points of view. Um, how do you, with a show that's again, you know, that has a diverse cast, that has a cast that explores, or uh, sorry, I should say, a, a cast or a group of characters that explore their different relationships to privilege, their different relationships to access. Um, and there are different lived experiences. How do you um, how do you come to an understanding in the room, right? Like, what is what is that process like <laughs> in terms of pitching a story and saying, "All right, like this is this is one aspect of the story," but hey, like maybe you're not paying attention to the lived experience, you know, whether it be as as a woman or as a queer person or as a person of color, like whatever that may be, right? If you could speak to that a bit. <laughs> Ellen? <laughs> I, I think that what we do is, first, I think we're extremely respectful of the opinions in the room. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've, I've heard stories about some rooms are run in a specific way where only certain people get to talk. In my room, everybody gets a voice. That mm -hmm. sort of the number one in terms of the way that I like to run things. Um, but also I think it's really important that the, like the people who are in the room are there because they're like, I mean, Lynn and Ellen are extremely accomplished and talented mm -hmm. writers and they're great listeners and they like have tons of empathy and I, like all of the writers in the room, like Priscilla White, who's here, um, you know, like they like they have tons of empathy as human beings, mm -hmm. and I feel like we all bring that to the party, mm -hmm. and that enables it. Like so, when we're telling stories that are outside of our the, of our zone, mm -hmm. we we use that empathy to try to make sure that we're presenting you know, a character not necessarily in the best light because we're not looking to paint everybody as, you know, perfect. Um, but we're trying to, we're really trying to 
dig for that universal humanity mm-hmm. that we can explore in terms of the stories we want to tell. I think we really talk through stuff too, even given the fact that, you know, we have, we always have such a short period of time or not as much time as we wish we had to break every story. But just because you have to be so thoughtful when you're writing about issues like this and and people in these situations um, and mindful of the fact that, you know, your, your own lived experience is not the same as the people you're writing about. And so I just feel a lot more confident about tackling those stories because because we had this room and I, I was surrounded by these people and I knew if, as long as we talked things through thoroughly with one another, I felt like we would always come to something that felt real and true. Now, I'm sure that there was probably some conflict along the way in terms of hashing things out, right? Getting getting to the point of a story saying, you know, in deciding kind of an end point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's realistic and what's not. Yeah. I mean, I feel like those those would probably be evolving conversations in the room. Well, that that sort of harkens back to the the end of, of this story because I feel like I just remember we talked and talked and talked and went back and forth and back and forth. And we really did have this feeling like, oh God, can we end an episode of TV like this? Because it was... I mean, I remember like crying when I heard the story from the legal aid lawyer and crying when we were breaking it in the room and crying when I f- first saw the episode. Like, this story never fails to make me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> just the idea of doing that to our audience, you know, is that that was something we really had to think about. Nice. Uh, Ellen as well? Um, yeah, I just want to add, like, before I talked about the safe space in the room and all of that, but it was kind of... writers are so perverse, we're all so insane. But the thing is, it was safe enough that we could feel uncomfortable. Like, you could, you could, the conversations would open up. Like, one thing I learned from Floyd, like I was joking about, you know, and then the baby dies, but Floyd would go into these places that when you're used to surviving in a room or making up stories, you kind of go with the craft or what you think is wanted from you or what's expected. And this room seemed much... There was wide open spaces of unexpected discussions, and you could. We went to some very uncomfortable places for me, anyway, and and learning places. And um, and Lisa Codrington's here too. Lisa Codrington and Priscilla White and I are all from Winnipeg, but we came from very different Winnipegs, <laughs> and. Um, it was just so interesting and I you know it's all credit to Floyd for just opening up that room to all of these like very weird uncomfortable um, situations and I think it shows up on the screen like it's just it goes places that I haven't gone to on in in my experience as a writer. Now now do you feel that in telling a show um, with you know having this historic show the show with an African-Canadian female lead in a drama, um, do you ever bump up against kind of like the burden of representation? Where um, in this case, it's like, you know, um, people get really excited about the opportunity to see themselves on television, but then because there's a lack of representation, you feel the pressure to have to, um, to, to speak to many different experiences. You know, do, did, you ever, did you ever navigate any of that? I mean... Um, I'm trying to like, cause it's a big question. Yes, so I'm trying yeah, yeah. to, I mean, uh, what I would say, like I, I think about, I, I, I don't like to think in terms of diversity cause I just feel like that word has been co-opted for so many other things that it, it's, it's in some level it's lost its power. Um, I think, uh, our show is inclusive and I like to think that that's a representation of who I am as a person and what my values are. I don't think of it as a burden. I think that when I think if you, I think if you're, if you're a showrunner and you approach it in that way, that it is a burden or it's a mandate that you have to satisfy, then you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I, 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 I believe that, um, you know, I watch so much television and I see, you know, people trying to oh look we're diverse because we've and it's just no you're not you're just casting somebody who happens to be of color in the show Mm -hmm. without giving their character a real cultural identity um and so for me i just feel like it's always it's it's really important that 
and I think we all kind of have practiced this in the room, like when we're creating shows and we are talking about a character who's from a community that either that we don't we're unfamiliar with or that we don't have represented in the room, we spend a lot of time talking about being careful that we don't want to make the story about that person's difference. Mm -hmm. Yes, the difference infuses how certain things in that person's life, but the story can't be about that. And so that so so for me the the whole idea of inclusion is just I mean it's it's so easy it just it's a go without th saying I don't I don't even think we really just I don't think so, I don't think it's so much discussed in the room mm -hmm. as a thing it's just kind of well this is what we want I want to do here this is what we want for this story mm -hmm. why don't we mix this up like this like it's it's really just kind of we want to we want to show the world we want to be inclusive in terms of like showing all communities in the in the series mm -hmm. no i mean do you find it frustrating that in in doing so and in, in kind of taking that approach to storytelling nonetheless kind of the way then you have to navigate how it's put out into the world whether it's kind of navigating the press of it or you know promotion i mean it's it's kind of telling a complicated story um and telling a story from a very specific point of view, but then navigating how that's how that's kind of put out into the world and marketed, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, at the at the heart of the show, our show is about class, mm. right? And I feel like, you know, that story is not told enough. I mean, we're telling a show about lawyers and a specific lawyer who hap who happens to be a black female, who has a tremendous amount of empathy for people who are not like her and who she's willing to fight go to work every day and fight for the fight for them when the system comes after them mm -hmm. and that's that is what the show is at its core and, and and we don't talk like and when i say we i mean in terms of the marketing and whatnot of the show that message sometimes get lost gets mm -hmm. lost yeah, they're they're looking kind of for a marketable that that nice little hook, right? That will okay. This is what makes it sexy. This is what makes this was what will bring eyes to it. Well, I mean, I think unfortunately that's it's one of those things when you're you're trying to cut through the clutter of five hundred and ninety some odd television series that are on. It's like, well, what's a, what's a story that uh, you know the Canadian media is going to seize onto? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the first. So that's sort of what the what was put out there. But I think if you watch the show, you see that really it's not a story about race. It's a story about class. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I feel like the show is a bit like Marcy because Marcy's just trying to do her job. And sometimes the race question is imposed on her. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you defending a white person? Or why are you defending an Asian person? Or well, you should defend the black person. Yeah. And Marcy's not the one who's doing that. It's people putting that on her. And it's the same with the show. People put that on the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I feel like um, in many ways it is really interesting, right? Because again, you're, you're bringing Marcy in. You're having Marcy very much directly experience kind of on a larger sense what the show experiences right it's 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 it is it is kind of interesting now I, I wanted to ask in terms of um one thing that i find really interesting is it's you're navigating six episode seasons um one of the things that made me very sad was after watching the first season i felt very attached to a number of characters and wanted more um how like when it comes to making storytelling choices and you have that much real estate, how, how do you how do you make those calls? How do you make the decisions about kind of what stories make the cut, what characters get the focus? And again, you know, kind of keeping in mind this larger um, idea of wanting to be equitable, right? <laughs> oh, that's so hard. It's really hard. And Floyd, if I, if I may, Floyd li likes his characters a lot, and he likes a lot of story, and, and we love the stories Floyd wants to tell and so we you know we work with them and we break them and then we have to get rid of them because there's no room and it's always very sad for us we we, we leave a lot on the floor yeah because it's just it's I mean I, I remember what was the story that we wanted to tell oh 
Well, we want to tell we wanted to like there's a character in the pilot, Reverend Slaughter, who Marcy holds responsible for the death of her aunt. And so we wanted to bring that character back mm-hmm. in the like and have Marcy and him having to interact with one another and we just didn't have the space to do it. Mm-hmm. Um we also had a really great like we we did it, we ended up doing a truncated version of it, but we had a really great story involving Colleen and her ex-wife, yeah. and we wanted to tell that full, like this really great full story. And we ended up truncating it because I didn't want to lose the story because it just was real. It was a really good uh, C story to have in the show, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just it's it's hard because we have a large cast of like fantastic actors and I really want to give everybody a chance to shine. Yeah. Now I know um, one thing that uh, you've gone on record as saying is that you found it uh, difficult kind of when you were initially staffing the second season uh, in terms of finding um, like black female senior writers in the Canadian industry. Um, did you notice at all like a shift in terms of that that staffing between season one and season two? Are think do you think that things are are getting better in that regard? Uh, well, I, I know that's incredibly well. Bad, no, but, but it's a, <laughs> but it's a good news story. I mean, like because the people who I went to were all working. Yeah. So it's not like they weren't. It it wasn't like I couldn't it, I couldn't find the senior black female writers because they were all otherwise employed. So mm-hmm. I think that's actually, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is, and we all know this, it wasn't, pro- it's probably been only five years since the Canadian film and television industry have kind of been like, oh, let's look at encouraging diverse writers and let's do this aggressively. And so, yeah, people like there's like this critical mass of like, you know, new writers that are like slowly, you know, coming up through the ranks. But in terms of senior writers, I mean, there's a huge gap. Floyd, you're really aggressively seniorizing those writers now. (laughs) Well, you know, senior as in room experience, not in age, but it is, it is like one of those things where it's like, you just really, I don't know. It's for me, I just kind of chuckle because I'm very happy. Like, you know, there are people like Chernold Edwards, you know, who, I'm extremely happy for because, you know, when they were here trying to work, it was really difficult for them to find jobs. And it wasn't until they made the move to the U.S. that, you know, people started knocking on their doors. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, it was challenging for me. But at the same time, I have to say it's been, I've had, it's been extremely fulfilling Mm -hmm. to be able to, like, have a show and go, you know what, this position and this position, they're like, I'm like, res- they're reserved because I want to, br- I want to build up a critical mass of you know, writers of color in the industry. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, that's, that's satisfying. Yeah. Now, do you find uh, that you're still navigating? Um, I mean, you know, you've spoken to CBC being supportive, yeah. but in terms of like other forms of systemic pushback in terms of the story, whether it be the stories you're telling whether it be, you know, in, in, te- in telling the stories that you want to tell, are you, how are you, are you navigating that? I, I, you know, honestly, like <laughs> the, the only real pushback that I have to listen to, um, like in a significant way, it's the broadcaster and the team in the room, right? I mean, and, and Amos Attitude, who's my producing partner on the show, like, I mean, those are the, like those are the voices um, who like who actually help to form the show and the stories. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are times when I might be like, "Well, let's do this," and you know, and somebody in the room might have to say, "Well, mm, maybe not that." And what do you what do you mean by that? You know, like just not like not that story. Yeah. Like, or maybe let's tell it this way. Can we frame it this way? You know, and it's it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's about me kind of like, like one of the reasons why I think rooms are great is because you want to be able to have a discussion about like 
certain things that come up mm -hmm. and like what are the things that you have to make clear to the audience when you're when you're writing an episode mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that we kind of like you know we it's very it's beneficial for us and for me anyway to like have this group of really creative and passionate people who you know aren't afraid to say well I'm not sure that works or that's too dark mm -hmm. or I don't know about this. And you kind of go, okay, well, let's like look at it. Let's, let's have that conversation. Yeah. Right. You know, and I, cause I think that's, I think that's really important. To the having of the conversation, even if it's difficult. Yeah. Cause shows, well, I just think that shows aren't like, I know we talk a lot about the showrunner, but no one person makes a television show. Like, you know, everybody contributes like even the, regardless of who's credited on screen, that's a joint effort. Mm. So I just think it's really important to, you know, acknowledge that. Now, in speaking to Lynn and to Ellen, I mean, do you find, um, I know obviously that like what we were speaking before about kind of how you have some familiarity with some of the, the like the specific neighborhoods that you guys will be dealing with on the show, but do you find uh, there to be any kind of challenges in terms of navigating let's say, sensitive cultural topics or asking questions that maybe, you know, might be outside of your, your reference, right? Like how, and, and navigating that in the room and navigating that in a creative way. Well, I just, um, I, I had like tremendous shame that I grew up in Nova Scotia and I had never heard of the community of Preston. Mm -hmm. Like I just never heard of it. I grew up three hours away from Halifax, but still that's like, <laughs> yeah um on an island so you know i was i was i was removed again but um i just that that sort of is something that sort of drives me crazy like still working on the show i just feel like you know i can talk about i can talk about dartmouth because that's where my parents live and i can talk about downtown halifax because that's where i used to go partying with my brothers when they were going to university there you know so i know i know about all these pockets of of halifax and and of nova scotia but but preston was the one thing that I did, that was just like a blank spot mm -hmm. in my upbringing, for whatever reason. Um, so that that's still something that kind of bothers me. Yeah, it's it's you know it's recognizing that way that we grew up in a culture and don't even realize the ways that we're not given access to things yeah, or that and or you know certain what I mean? information or that is you know, kind of filtered out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Ellen, um, I uh, you know have always gone along thinking I'm politically correct and. When I was working in magazines, I commissioned a story about Africville, so I was like the big expert in this community, and I had I had no clue. <laughs> yeah. And we, you know, one of the great things about this was that the writers' room, the producers flew us out to Halifax for a week or so of research, which was great. And I'll tell you a couple of moments in this show when the church ladies with their hats in the pilot, <laughs> it really brought a tear to my eye because I've seen that on American TV, yeah. but I had no idea that was in Canada. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, it really made me proud to be Canadian. Like this show, it was like, it was just so real. And um, I don't know, there were a couple of other times on the show where I can't remember them, but there were just many profound moments for me where it was like, oh, I'm learning so much about my own country. <laughs> I had no idea. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's that it's the beauty of telling a very specific story, mm -hmm. right? Where it's mm -hmm. like you're seeing a point of view that isn't your own, but that is, you know, perhaps close to you or that is universal that you can connect yeah, to. Yeah, and I mean, here are people who've been in Canada like three times as long as my poor immigrant grandparents a hundred years ago and like who knew you mm -hmm. know it's just that I mean I just think the show is really important mm -hmm. and good one, one of the things that I, I feel also I, I need to comment on uh, is the incredible use of music on the show which I think is wonderful and immediately establishes that this is a show that's going to be taking a different approach to the legal procedure, right? Like you're saying, you're, you, and I know we, we talked a bit about this, but it's like, you know, finding the needle drops that are, um, are connected to, uh, you know, Marcy, to Marcy's experience. I noticed, uh, and I was talking about this, I was, I was kind of fanboying a bit, but, uh, you know, Jackie Shane, right? Who is a, um, a wonderful blues artist uh, who passed away last year, uh, trans pioneer. Um, she, there's a needle drop where, you know, her music's used throughout an episode 
and it's so well used and it's it, it perfectly complements the story but it's this moment where again you're you're it's like the brackets of the show are kind of are specific which is really nice yeah we have an amazing music supervisors uh, Michaela Simons and uh, Michael Perlmutter and uh, they've just been like you know they're really like we kind of push them a lot and mm-hmm. they kind of always deliver um, you know this year we actually found this obscure Tina Turner track <laughs> and we just were like okay can we afford this <laughs> so we you know we gave it to them and asked them to check it out and we actually have it in the show for the season premiere so I'm like really excited about that That's exciting. Um, you know we also one of the things because yeah music is like really important to the show so one of the things that we did uh, th- we decided to do this year as part of the launch was to do like a, a series of uh, mini concerts called the Digstown Sessions and we're going to like so mute artists who look local artists who like from Toronto and from Halifax who have music in the show we got them to come in studio we did like a live taping of them like performing a few songs there's some interview content and you know we're the idea is that we're going to launch that starting on the uh, on Sunday the concerts will go live Mm -hmm. so we're just actually you know if anyone is interested you can register at uh, www.digstownmusic.com and uh, you know we just feel like we wanted to kind of use the show as a platform not just to encourage uh, people to watch Canadian television and to represent diversity in Canadian television but also in the music industry because we you know, have this great platform. Mm -hmm. And all these artists are just like, I mean, it's amazing to listen to them. Now, uh, are you able to kind of speak at all to the direction uh, that you're going to be going in in season two? Um, Well, when you're doing six episodes, it's sort of like one of our executive producers, she always says, well, like Brenda Greenberg, she always says, well, you're still doing season one. So (laughs) so in a lot of ways, you know, we're still doing season one. Mm But what we did is we did a six-month time jump because we wanted to be able to bring Iris back in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because one of the things you do when you're looking at your show at the end of each season, you, you do a post-mortem. You look at the things that aren't working, the things that are working, the things you wanted to achieve, the things that you didn't achieve, and you try to make it better in season two. So I think for us... Um, you know, a couple of things. We wanted to bring Iris more into the fold of the ensemble. Um, we also, like, one of my inspirations visually for the show is the Michael Mann movie, The Insider. And because I really like the whole idea of extreme close ups of hands or, like, you know, coming into a scene where you're, like, very close on someone's face. And then they turn their head and you reveal the entire room. Like, I love that style of filmmaking. So very much wanted to kind of do more of that because we didn't, we didn't, we shoot seven days per episode so that we didn't have the time to do a lot of it in season one. So wanting to do more of that. I think we decided we wanted to put Mercy more into the, like, you know, the cases have higher stakes and we really want it to, I think what's interesting when you watch all of the episodes for season two, thematically what you see is a story about the obstacles that exist when you're trying to get to justice, right? And whether that's, you know, a lying uh, defendant, a, you know, racism, um, politics, like it's just like it's it's really interesting to kind of like kind of st- when you sit back and look at all the episodes, it's like oh okay, this is what these are the things that he's that that they're doing, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really that was really interesting. No, uh, and this is a real this is a real big question. Um, I mean, this show this show is is excellent in terms of again navigating all of these intersections, navigating. Uh, these I- these identities and these specificities, a specific story. Um, 
but I think that many diverse creators are kind of given the advice to avoid specificity largely because of the marketplace or that there isn't room necessarily for stories that kind of go against the grain. Um, how, like, do you, I mean, I know you, you referenced that it's, it's good to see more writers of color, more, more diverse writers out there. Uh, how, how do we get it better? How do, how do we, I mean, you, you commented on this in the room. <laughs> I, know it's a, I told you it was a big question. Uh, but in the Revi Refinery29 piece that was published uh, a couple weeks back, which talked about Canadian television and the whiteness of Canadian television, it's like, how do we continue pushing that boulder up that hill and telling specific stories when we aren't always the gatekeepers? <laughs> it, it's not that we're not always, we're not the gatekeepers. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it, it's, I mean, look, I have a show on CBC uh, and I serve at the pleasure of the executives who run the CBC. If tomorrow those executives decide we don't want this show, the show doesn't exist. It's that simple. I mean, that's, we, we like, so, you know, it's like we. There is no like you can keep you can push that boulder up the hill, yeah. but the reality is that as a creator, you're. I mean, you're kind of at the base of the hill, and you. There's a lot of things that you have to go through to get to the top, and the top is the person at the broadcaster who has the green light power. And so when you're telling, trying to tell diverse stories, you know, I mean, you, I don't, not to be cynical, but, you know, I've been in the industry long enough that I've seen the change, right? And I've seen, and I've, and I've witnessed how, you know, back in the 90s and the aughts, you know, you would have these diversity programs where we'd all be thrown in together and you know, and and then everyone would be surprised when the complexion of the industry didn't change. And I feel like what what kind of happened in the last five years is that people, because of what was happening in the U.S., because you know we can't be pioneers; we have to be followers. Um, you know, we what was happening in the U.S. with Oscar so white and all of these studies coming out talking about the the, the industry and the lack of like diversity within the industry, the last of lack of inclusion within the industry, suddenly everybody started talking about inclusion, diversity, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, I mean, like, you know, here's an example. Scroll through, and I'm not, I'm not singling them out because I'm trying to, to hate on them. But I'm, the, the point I'm making is this. So you go and you look at the list of the jurors for the Rockies, okay? Mm -hmm. You look at who's in that list. You look at who's Canadian on that list. And then look at who's diverse on that list. And it speaks, and it will speak to you about where the industry is at in terms of the leadership being diverse. And it's a significant issue, and we just haven't, like, like. Honestly, I do. I do not believe there is a will to change it. Mm. Um, there really, I, I don't think there is, and I think, and so therefore, it's like we have to hope, as people who are diverse, um, that there are really good people who believe in inclusion in their bones, who want to make inclusive uh, shows and films in this country. Um, you know, and, and I'm not saying this because I'm working with them, but I can say this, you know, the executives who I've worked with at CBC, um, some of, like, one of whom has been there for a long time and I've worked with, I've known her for a long time, Helen Azamakis. I mean, you know, they are extremely supportive people. Like, they believe, like, I believe Helen and Deb, who I work with, and Sally believe in these things, right? So it's just about, but but the thing is, it's like you, it can't just be CBC. 
Yeah. It has to be everybody. Right? So that's sort of, you know, what we're dealing with. So I'm getting I'm getting the the symbol. Um, I know that uh, I'm sure some of you have questions. So we're going to open up the questioning questioning to the floor to hear if you guys kind of want to weigh in. Hi. Hi, my name is Kate. First of all, thank oh, you. Oh, wait one second. Sorry, we're going to get a microphone to you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kate, and first of all, thank you so much to you and the rest of your team for such a wonderful show in every way. The acting, the characters, the setting, the stories, the visuals, I love it and I really can't wait to watch season two and may you have many more seasons ahead. My question is, um, when you're breaking the story arc for a season, do you typically look at each character's um, emotional journey, like does you know Marcy need to go somewhere with her ego in her work and her journey with her boyfriend? You s establish that, and then wrap the legal stories around that. Or how do you, how do you break those arcs for this for the season? Thank uh, you. We we do kind of do what you describe. I mean, it's hard like gazing back through the mists of time to <laughs> when we were sort of starting to think about season two, let alone season one. Um, I do remember that we sort of, we, Floyd came in with some sort of key ideas, but generally I, I do remember, you know, putting something on the board along the lines of this is what Marcy is going through this season. So it's not, it's not necessarily an arc, but it's like, it's an emotional journey that we kind of want to send her on. Um, and then we would do the same thing for the other characters. What's, what's going on with Doug, what's going on with Pam and her, her father and all her ambivalence about how rich she is. Um, and it was, and we would kind of get those journeys down, and then, as you were saying, we we kind of we'd think about the cases next, and then and then it's kind of a matter of interweaving everything together so that the stories would converge. Yeah. And then we'd all we'd sort of bring in cases that we thought were quirky or interesting or situations like I I had one I can't remember where exactly it ended up, but but it was about. Uh, someone, a relative of mine was married to someone who was a minor celebrity, but little did, did the world know that he was abusing, uh, battering her. And that, that interested me, how the public persona, and then we, we talked about that and came at it from all different angles. And then you figure out a story, a legal story, and then, well, who would, which character would find this the most challenging or how can we fuck up some character with this legal case or something and then it, so it all and then it all kind of eventually organically it all seems to settle somewhere yeah and then sometimes like a character would just like immediately pop up and cleave to a given story it's like oh that's for reggie or that's for doug and then other times it's like no it's not doug it's it's reggie we'd like start swapping them out and realizing one character works better yeah or there'd another. be something in the news like barbecue becky <laughs> and then we'd end up with <laughs> vile victor <laughs> so yeah we, we i mean it's really fun Sorry, and just to repeat the question, uh, do you get the legal stories? Are they only uh, in Canada, or do you get well, them barbecue? From Becky was an American thing, right? But yeah, yeah, I mean, there's it's not like it doesn't exist in Canada. Mm -hmm. So we would find a local example, or we would just apply it to you know everybody. Everybody just brought their own sort of observations and interests and news clippings and yeah. When when um, story. Referring back to the, the episode I mentioned where Marcy's defending an Indigenous client, I seem to recall, I don't know if this was the very beginning of it, but I, I remember we were talking about the story of um, somebody throwing a trailer hitch at an yes. Indigenous woman from their truck and hitting her in the stomach. Um, that horrible story, and I think she later died. And, and we just, I, I feel like that's where we started from, and then we came up with a completely different story, but... It was through that discussion that yeah, we it's came. In, it's to interesting because as we're talking, I'm realizing how it, I'm remembering now. <laughs> it's we all came. We brought our emotions to it. Like I feel like all the stories came from a place that was emotionally resonant for each of us. Like it wasn't just a sort of paint by numbers thing. It was like this really affected me, or this happened in my family, or this happened, and yeah. And then we went from there. Hi there. Uh, the microphone's going to come along. Yeah. Uh, thanks. My name's Edward. And um, I was just interested, you've got a lot of story threads going on in there. 
And um, I thought the rhythm worked really well. And I just wondered if you could talk about your process for how you work on all those different story threads, the A, B, C, and look, there's a D story there too. And how you integrate them all and how you determine like your cuts, how much time to give to each one. Um, I think we tend to give like I think what like one of the things we try to do is with the because I'll speak about the D and the E and the F because I know that like when we are in the later episodes of season two, we go hog wild in terms of the number of stories that we have happening. And I, I don't like to think of them as stories. I think of them as character threads. And we're just like, and usually I will give like three beats to those because I think that's enough for the audience. But we're really, because once again, it's, the show has a huge cast and we're really trying to like service as much as we possibly can. And so sometimes it's like, we'll put like four of them in a room together and they'll be talking about all four things. And then we'll later on, we'll spin off and we'll see the one person dealing with the thing that he or she brought up in this conversation that they were all having. And then later on, we'll pick it up at the end as like a little like thread. Like I'm trying to think of an example without giving stuff away, but I think in the season finale for season two, we have the story of we have a story involving uh, a white woman who's accused of setting homes in uh, North Preston on fire. So that's our A story. Um, our B story is uh, God. I'm not going to land. This. Land. It's title. It's to a the land. land. It yeah. so it involves Marcy's parents and Reggie, and there's a dispute about land. Um, and then our C story, Ellen. And so it's we won't a, make you get it. No, but then it's like, and so then our C story involves Iris and her mother, and sort of like what's set up in the premiere is that Iris's mother is an alcoholic and may have been abusive to her as a child. So in the season finale, Iris is, is attacked by the husband of a client and it's about sort of like her reaction to that and then her reaction to her mother like in, she and her mother having like a come to jesus moment so there's there are those three stories but then there's marcy avery and everything to do with that relationship and then there's pam and avery and that relationship so it's like we're trying to like you know we're we're always trying I always want to give all of them a moment and it's very it's it's very hard to resist right so I'm typically disciplined in like the beginning of the season <laughs> but around 4 and 5 I go a little bit crazy Any other questions? We have, I think, time for about two more questions. Yeah. Hi. I. I. Uh, sorry. Um, I was wondering about something that JP actually said. He said that uh, the the storyline between Kim and River showed that the system was unfeeling, and I was wondering if that's what you were trying to show, because it seemed to me. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just ask. Do you think that it would have been better if uh, River had gone back with Kim? Uh, no, I don't think. I think that because it's not reality. So no, I, I think that the the sh the right decision in the show was for the judge to say you're not capable of raising this child. So yeah. One more question. I'm going to say right over here in the back. Hello. I just wanted to say congratulations first on doing uh, this show. I've been watching more of. Canadian uh, film uh, just recently and I'm happy that there are like many uh, different uh, type of person of color which are playing lead in at least I counted like three or four um, CBC TV show uh, currently that we can watch and this make me really happy because it's it shows a lot of representation 
And I'm also um, very interested about you bringing uh, very political issues that are current to the story that we can also relate to. And for example, like in that first episode, I haven't watched Dickstown before, but I, uh, I've heard a lot about it and I've followed a lot about what was happening around the conversation and made me want to see more of it. But like in the first, um, in, in this episode that I watched, there was like how um, different words bring different things to different characters. So that little piece of like catness in somebody else's mouth became a little bit more like a microaggression. And, and she pointed it out, like how it, it hurt her and how, how she's like looking around that. And I'm curious about like those other issues that you mentioned about immigration and things like that, how you think and develop that in different story in the show. Um, I think that we just, I mean, for, for me, it's really about finding, like, I I'm very interested in exploring legal issues that we haven't explored before. So, like, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but there is this case in Halifax, and hopefully I don't get the name of the, the defendant wrong, but uh, Abdu Abdi, um, and he was a a kid who had been brought to Canada. He was in, fo in foster care most of his life. They had, like, the foster parent, like, no one in the system had ever thought to get him, uh, make him a Canadian, like, get him a ca Canadian uh, residency or his citizenship. He committed a crime. They decided they were going to deport him and to a country he'd never been to. And so there was this ongoing fight that happened. And anyway, he ended up winning. And so, and, and, not being, and not being deported. So we wanted to do that, a version of that story. So we took a completely different slant to it. And, but at the same time, like, what we, try, what, what we try to do is find inspiration because we know no one else is telling that story. And that's why, like, and so for every episode, we're always looking to tell stories that, we like even I think in like we had a conversation in the room because and I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but we in the season premiere we were doing we were looking at doing uh, we wanted to, I wanted to do an episode about the relationship between the cops and Marcy and I wanted Marcy to be to, to be defending a cop and to have that become an issue for her in terms of her relationship with her community. But what we didn't want to do is, and we talked about this a lot, like we didn't, and I think at one point on the board it was a shooting. And I think I had gone, I went home that evening and I, and, and I was watching a television and, I, and there was a show on that was about a cop shooting an unarmed black man. And I thought, I don't want to do that story. That story's been done by at least seven shows. So I decided, let's do the episode where a cop hits a black woman in the midst of a high-speed chase. And, and what is the fallout of that? Because he's in the midst of his duty in terms of like, you know, when this happens. But is it about the fact that when police are going through black communities, when they're driving through black communities, is there less of, is, is there less, are they less careful? And so let's have Marcy representing that character and let's see what, like how that impacts, how her, her community sees her. And so, th so that's, those, that's the way that we kind of take real issues, but then we fold them into the kind of stories that work for Digstown. Just gonna quickly add, and then there's layers and layers because sometimes in the room we'd say, well, is the character black or white? And sometimes the answer would be black or white, and sometimes it would be, Floyd would be, I don't know, or why does it matter? Or, um, and so in this case, the cop ended up being Asian, which added another layer of complexity. And then you were talking before about how the system and this and that 
can work against what Marcy's trying to do. And sometimes the client works against it. And in this case, that client worked against it. So there's yeah, layers totally. and layers and layers of complexity. And then it comes back around to, it's not a show about black or white or male or female or this or that. It's really about the system. It's about any human being with layers and layers of all of that. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Floyd. Thank you, Thank JP. You. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Ellen. Uh, thank all of you. Um, also, thank you to the WGC for running such wonderful events and all of the wonderful tech crew for miking us. You've been listening to Writers Talking TV, presented by the Writers Guild of Canada. All the podcasts in this series can be found on the Writers Guild website, wgc.ca. Thanks to the team at Tiff Bell Lightbox and to our technical producer, Philip Vukovic. I'm JP LaRock. Thanks for listening.